before we even dive into any of this, is your hair fluffy today? I don't have to worry about that. You're not going to take that bloody approach until we like down in You, you <laughs> two just sat back and let John just basically go, right, I've got six years of frustration. Take the leash off and he goes. It's all in the edit. All the nice bits were chopped out, you see, <laughs> Don't blame the edit. The problem with a podcast is that it's like a confessional. On a completely different topic, I'm becoming more and more confident that I have the dreaded C. Dreaded Rona. Chlamydia. Dreaded Rona. <laughs> Chlamydia, I, I, I chlamydia over, over the weekends, really affecting my breathing, I don't know why. Although, whenever I did the air, what's there, it gets tinny for me, doesn't it? Yeah, but yours are unique, because Alistair's didn't sound tinny. Mine kind of crap, though, if you were saying. Mine are free from Dext. Mine are free from Dext. They're probably not real AirPods, then. They're probably not. Not that we hate the Dext. Love you, please want to wish <laughs> I haven't asked Mark is the usual question you ask all of our guests, Ryan. Well, uh, it's normally have you listened to the podcast, but he's already reeled off like many episodes. So. Welcome to episode 13 of Digitals in a Cruel World. We are excited to bring you a podcast around dragging audit into the 21st century with Inflow. And today we're being joined by our guest, Mark Edmondson, who for his sins has worked in this industry for a very long time and is just going into a little bit of his history, working alongside Alistair Barlow and a few others. Before we get to that, you probably noticed that it is unusual to hear me hosting today's episode. Unfortunately, our beloved Ryan Piercy was struck with what can only be described as COVID cotton brain for today's episode. So you'll have to put up with me on this one. But before we kick on, then how are you, Ryan? How are you feeling? Merely not great. Um, <clears throat> Uh, breathless I'd say is probably the, the best summary yeah it hit me hard over the weekend although I've not had it confirmed as COVID pretty much everyone I've spoken to says that the symptoms match that so yeah it's not great I can understand how everyone has suffered through this and I just can't believe I've waited to the point pretty much when the government said you don't need to worry about it anymore to be struck by it yeah when it was out of fashion you finally got it yeah like all of my clothing. John, how are you doing? Hi, Andy. Yeah, I'm I'm really good. I'm excited about uh, today's pod. I'm super excited about you hosting for a change. It's way better than listening to Ryan. I'm, I'm also getting ready for our Beaver and Shudders All Staff Strategy Day this week. So that's really exciting because we've got some really interesting news to share with the team and some interesting changes to the strategy and vision for the firm for the future. Great. And Mark, great to have you as our lucky number 13. So how are you? And tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, thanks, Indy. I'm really delighted to be joining the podcast uh, today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, lucky number 13. So to introduce myself very briefly, I'm, I'm CEO of Inflow, uh, one of the main founders of the business just over six years ago. My entire professional career has been in the accounting sector. I worked uh, for one of the big four through my graduate years and into the early days of my career. I was heavily involved in a lot of innovation and technology there, which was some of the fuel for the fire that ultimately became Inflow. And now uh, leading Inflow as a business that's really trying to drive digital adoption of technology in the accounting se sector, specifically in the audit and higher complexity compliance areas. How big is your team in the UK? Uh, in the UK, we got about 60, uh, 60 or 70 in the UK. And then we oh, got wow. people around, like the people in the US, people in Australia. Those are our three hubs, basically. How do you make sure that they sync up on timelines? And because that's quite disparate timing. We've got an exec down. Uh, one of our exec team is based in Sydney, which helps. So she can somewhat coordinate like the more strategic elements locally. The uh, US isn't too bad. And the US is pretty easy to handle. But yeah, the Australia market it's really tough out of the UK just because of the time difference. So your team feels a bit disjointed. So no easy, no easy fix, to be honest with you. How does it compare when you, you look at those markets, UK, US, um, Australia, in terms you, of... So in, in, in an audit sense, you, the UK is way ahead in terms of the adoption of audit technology, predominantly because the big four all started most of the innovation from the UK. US is about five years behind. They're very educated and talk up here, but their actual use of technology and their processes are really dated. There's a lot of reasons for that, but some of the kind of the political kind of situation over there and some of the ways that they regulate the market really inhibit innovation. And Australia is an interesting one because you'd think based on the cloud accounting side that they'd be quite 
all the cutting edge, but they're actually quite a bit behind the UK in terms of their audit, audit tech usage. A lot of the time, Australian firms really kind of piggyback on what their UK counterparts are doing and they do it a little bit after the event. Well, I'm sure John is going to have a lot of fun interviewing you today. And the most difficult part of my job is going to be editing this down so that it's less than an hour. Before we kick on with the interview, let's hear from App News. So let's kick off App News. Anyone got anything you want to bring to the table? I saw a post that was slightly controversial um, on LinkedIn from Alex Falcon Huerta, who raised some issues to do with the DEX pricing. There was a follow-up article by Richard Sargent that was posted on Accounting Web. It made me think about how transparent some of the softwares are that are out there. And it's been something that most of the cloud softwares have, well, obviously you guys will know, they've offered different rates at different points. I don't know if you've encountered that at all with some of the softwares that were listed obviously in this particular one it was dexed but yeah it would be interesting to kind of find out yeah well i guess alex alluded to the fact she'd been overcharged by thirty thousand pounds by dexed over the period i've no idea how she calculated that and she would have i guess agreed to a certain pricing structure at the time we've got a, an all-encompassing deal with dexed and that's been i don't know we've had that since the start but I know they've changed their prices over time. They've gone down then they've gone back up again and they've changed the structure. So trying to keep track of, are we making money compared to previous deals or not is quite challenging. And I think that a lot of the software providers early on do struggle to find where they fit in the market that they can make money whilst also attracting customers. Don't know if that's been the case for Dex, but I know that apps really struggle to find actually what's the right price point for them. But do you compare notes about what you do pay with certain software providers? Is this something that we should know about? Absolutely. Everyone compares notes. It's a bit like you, Indy, different rates for different dates. So you are not getting away with that, but good luck. Continue. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, look, accountants speak. We talk to each other, whether it's within our professional networks, whether it's within your know, networks like, like on LinkedIn and other things. And so I was quite interested to see Alex's post and, and obviously the follow-up from Richard I think some of it's a little bit disingenuous to be perfectly honest I mean you know Alex has been a receipt bank advocate from the start and conversations that the advocates had was with the receipt bank team at the time about pricing and how inconsistent it was clearly there is an issue here people do want a level of consistent pricing and they want to know that they're treated fairly but that extends to other things there are things like stepped prices where maybe you get your first 10 clients for x amount and then to jump to the next price you've got to get 25 and for some smaller practices and, and for larger ones as well that can be a bit of a challenge to overcome but, but everyone's in the same place in most respects you either agree a price or you negotiate a price and, and as you said people do talk so we quite often know um, when one is paying a significantly different price to another. Going back to Alex's post where a vendor has changed it a lot and they're doing completely different things to different people and it all feels like it's under the table rather than up front. I think that's where it creates some bad blood in the marketplace. I don't know the levels to what Dexter have done that. We've never felt that we've had a, a bad deal, but merely I, I might do a calculation and find that we've got a similar figure to Annex. It's it's just what it is. Yeah. I think also like the Dex one in particular, they've had a product that they launched with years ago, then that changed to a, a tiered product, then the product changed again. And so, you know, as a consequence of that, they have got inconsistent pricing, you know, whereas you compare that to, to zero, for example, the, the three products that have effectively been in the market that are client-facing have, have all been the same. Yes, the pricing is changing. And ironically, we now know the partner pricing is going to be changing as well in the future. So but these products, they've got to try and get the right fit at the right time in terms of, you know, how do you get people on board? And if they price it too high, to begin with, maybe you won't get people on. If you price it too low, though, it's 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 a giveaway and you're not going to make enough money out of it and you need to scale quicker. So it is a hard balance to get right. And that's why you quite often find deals. But I'd, I'd much rather have an honest conversation with the vendors about pricing. I'm not interested in doing what QuickBooks have, have always done, which is these ghost licenses of selling you hundreds of licenses at a time for pretty much nothing with lots of pressure to sell them on. But in reality, you don't do anything with them and they just sit there lurking in the background doing nothing. Agreed. We could go around the houses talking about pricing all day. So has anyone got anything else? 
I've got some exciting news on Practice Ignition, who have just gone through a rebrand and they've now calling themselves Ignition. So you know, just drop that practice bit off, which I think is right because they're no longer aiming for just accountants, I think, with their product. So it's quite quite an interesting thing. They've also uh, released some other little features with that. So they've got the ability to import and export contacts now. They've also allowed uh, a report on conversion rate optimization, which allows you to improve the way that you get clients on board. And there's some more flexible billing arrangements as well with the new, with the new products. So probably a little bit better for, for some types of business or for some accountants who don't want to have be stuck on that fixed pricing model. We definitely have a different definition of what an exciting rebrand is, John, if removing one word from your name makes it exciting. But I I thought it was a bit of a a boring rebrand. But I guess we have experienced where it can potentially go wrong via Receipt Bank to Dext. So at least they've stayed true to their brand slightly. That's why I thought it was exciting because as an accountant, you know, just dropping one part of a name is pretty much there. Whereas, you know, as as you said, you know, the Receipt Bank to Dext move was at the opposite end of the spectrum and was entirely controversial. Speaking about different brands, I don't know if you guys caught the Maz app, which was launched by the South Wales firm Mazuma Money and a huge girl crush on Lucy Cohen. Used to love her original YouTube videos of the purple envelope. So she's launched this new technology that rivals the features that you would get in something like a zero. They built Maz app to make the data entry accessible for lots more of our own staff and with different features such as like the invoicing, BAT filing, receipt capture, and even being able to link um, the Maz app to the different bank accounts. But I'm not sure it's a move that I would have seen coming from an accountant firm. And maybe it's the adoption of technology that so many of the accountants have had to push out other types of technology. It's about time that they explored their own options or something a bit more branded to their own clients what do you guys think is Um, there something that you would do john open banking (laughs) can i see what open banking white label well i think for accountants maybe they could do something open banking wise but i'm not in a place where i want to build my own account software i mean there's so many good options out there and i i do find this move by the mazuma team you know, somewhat interesting. I mean, we've definitely got to get them on and find out a little bit more because for me, it wouldn't be something that I would do. I, I think there's so many good options, as I said, and, and you know, why invest what's going to be a considerable amount of money to put, develop a competitive product to, to help those clients. Maybe it makes them a little bit more sticky, but equally we've just seen with Nixon Williams, big freelancer umbrella accountant who built their own software and had a huge cyber security hack, have had client details leaked all over the place. And so that's going to be a risk if you take on your own software, whereas I'd much rather pay zero QuickBooks and massive businesses like that who invest considerable amounts of money on data security, which is not available to a smaller firm like ourselves. Ryan's daughter's escaped from the cage. Yeah, we're just watching the door with like bated breath to see if it holds against the wedge that <laughs> Ryan has put under it to stop his daughter hurtling in. Just, just hook a chair like they do in the movies, hook a chair under the handle, Ryan. Be can right. you hear the background? Can you hear all that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, we can hear her going, let me in. The Maz app, though. I thought it was a good move. Do you? I actually think more, right. I, I do think it's a good move. I think more accountants should consider the fact that I don't. they are already promoting other types of software. And in the end, so many accountants in the past have said, well, what stops the technology replacing us? Well, if you were to take more control of the relationship that you have with technology, arguably that protects you and your client base. And it's about keeping your clients in your own ecosystem. So I'm, and the opposite. So I think a lot of accountants have tried white labeling software in the past and it's been a shit experience. I'm quite happy to pay people that are really good at what they do to do themselves. And I'm not saying that the Mazap team don't have a good team of developers and know what they want to do, but what's to stop the software providers replacing us? People who know what they're talking about, that's what stops them because they can't recruit enough good quality people to replace you know, the, the people that they would need. You know, you're seeing it in in the states with the with the Intuit QuickBooks stuff and and how they're trying to do bookkeeping through the back door, fine. You could probably get away with doing that, you know, but you can't do proper your know, accountancy service advisory work, you know, however you want to badge that, without having good quality people. And we know from the way that KPMG and others have tried to replicate that at the SME end of the sector with with piggybacking on the back of zero and receipt banking products like that in the past, that that's a tough market to break into. 
Yeah, I mean, let's give some credit to the Mizuma team. They've built a lot out of the app and they've got a lot in there. But I completely agree with you, John, in the fact that building it's one thing, maintaining it and keeping it secure is something completely different. So that will be the big change. It'll be really good to see why they've done it because now you're bringing all that risk internally. So is it a lead generation tool to win new business? Is it a cost reduction tool? Are they paying out too much for software and they want to just reduce their costs? And so what's the return on investment? Or, and this is something I've not checked, and I don't know if you can, other accounting firms white label their app? No, don't think so. But I suppose talking about that, it is a good differentiator, isn't it? So Mazuma, Mazap, everything else that goes with it, it's really great. Like I say, other practices have tried to white label apps in particular, particular like phone apps for interaction with clients. And that's always been a shit experience. But maybe they've looked at the market and said, you know what? Every single accountant up and down the country now is a zero partner or a QuickBooks partner or whatever. We can do something different. Anyway, pivoting completely. I've got something that I saw, which was, I guess, tied into some episodes we've done previously. There's an accounting course in the University of Birmingham that has brought in a climate change module. I'm not entirely certain why or the reason for the link of bringing climate change. I know the ICAW have got a big drive on on climate reporting, and maybe this is the key area that they're trying to address, is that for large businesses, climate reporting has become key. But for the majority of firms, this still is not anything that anyone needs to consider. And it's very odd that the university systems are ahead of the actual industry. Normally, they're catching up and training way beyond when something is in, in place. Take cloud accounting as an example. Now, I don't know if either of you have got a thought on that, on the impact or whether this is just a, a, a buzz. Climate change is key. Let's put climate a climate module in our um, syllabus and get people to come to our course or, or whether you think this is actually ahead of the curve. ESG is obviously really popular at the moment. We know that a lot of businesses have got ESG reporting requirements. We also know that quite a lot of the ESG reporting is entirely unsubstantiated and there isn't a decent framework for for a lot of businesses to report. I read recently that quite a lot of the investment funds who have marked companies out as having high quality ESG performance have then had to revisit that because actually they had people like BP and Shell and X. On, on their lists where we were clearly not high on the ESG scores. So this is interesting developed for us, of course. I, I don't know what the content of, of that module is. It'd be really interesting to find out what, what that is. And I suppose that sits within the wider context of that we know that the International Accounting Standards Board has just introduced the ISSB, which is all around sustainability, creating standards for sustainability reporting so that both businesses accountants and auditors know what that framework looks and feels like and and to make sure that people are complying with that on a consistent basis internationally because that for me is the most fundamental problem at the moment is that companies are going out there and doing all sorts of different things whether that's lots of narrative reporting whether that's lots of numerical reporting with not a huge amount of context or validity to it and then others are not doing half of what they should be doing within the limited framework that we've got through the companies act and, and other reporting requirements for particularly large companies. I understand why it's important going to climate change, but surely some of the courses as they stand, do they represent accountancy as you guys see it today, even with the amount of different apps that are out there and the technology that needs to be understood? I would have thought that they should also at least try and modernize the overall program to represent the industry a little bit better. I, I don't have context on that, so I, but I just think that adding climate change sort of feels like a little bit of greenwashing, wokewashing. It feels not so credible. My take on it is that a lot of the accounting courses are built around what the ICAW are doing. And the ICAW tend to focus on what the big four want. So for the big four, they've got a need, a focus on ESG reporting and less so on cloud accounting and the software because that's dealt with more with the, the smaller county firms, mid-tier and below. So that's probably what's driven this change, but it, that's pure speculation. Yeah, uh, going back to your point, Indy, yeah, most students who come out of university on accountancy courses don't have a clue what they should be doing in real life. So there's hell hell of a lot of hard edges to knock off, but that's what accountancy firms are for, isn't it? Okay, moving on to other news. 
I've got some exciting news. The HMRC app has just been updated with the ability to pay your self-assessments or your personal tax liability using open banking. This has been in development for a while. So I know that they were beta testing this back in December and then it's been fully launched off for all new users going forward. So another use case for open banking. I know that HMRC are really excited about this. And <clears throat> if I read the stats right that they released a couple of weeks ago, they said that there were almost a million people that used, used that functionality. So massive uh, in usage and I think the open banking team had also released some stats that said that users which I think we reported on in the past had jumped from four million to five million in and I think it was less than two months so uh, maybe HMRC account for all of that jump yeah I think the HMRC app on a personal level is one of the better things that they have built and the fact that they're rolling things out on that is only going to improve it so I know we normally slag HMRC off on this because we get fed up of how they release things that never being that good, but I think this is a good step and I think it's going to build on the functionality in the HMRC app. Moving directly into product news, we've got some updates on Connect4. So Connect4 is the meeting app, which is about building your meeting experience for your clients, um, setting agendas, running the meeting in a video conference or you know, live face-to-face and then action points. And they've developed their agenda library, so the ability to pick templates from there. They've added a timer, so flagging how close you are to the end of a meeting based on, I guess, how long you've set it and if you've overrun. And it's quite clear inside the system when that's running. Beneficial considering we've experienced a lot of back-to-back meetings nowadays. I think that will help drive, I guess, meetings running to time. They've added some badges for what happened in a prior um, meeting, some more visual cues, visual flags. And they've also, like a lot of apps, added zero single sign-on. So you can just log into your zero and then work directly from Connect Four. Timer add-on is quite interesting, as it because they're just following the following the market. Really, you, know, you and I will see that in Teams every day, won't we, Ryan? Yeah, that. Well, it's more of a kind of countdown. Really, you've got an amount left. Whereas this is like an exact timer with like color-coded flags. I believe that said, yeah, I don't think it's a massive differentiator from those. A little bit of other news, two things. One was that as an app provider, I am quite excited about some other functionality that they have coming up in what is called expert pods. And I don't know if I'm allowed to speak much about it, but Andrew has some brilliant ideas on how the Connect4 platform can start educating more people while they're in there on certain areas where you can go and self-serve within the expert pods. And it's so there's that. And I guess it goes to show that some of the changes that have been made structurally with John Oakley and Sarah Broderick, both leaving Connect4, which I know, Ryan, you had some comment from Connect4 on that? Yeah, yeah. So the CEO, Andrew Jordan, basically I asked him for comment because I thought this was interesting. Two of their major employees have, have left and moved on, and one of them being a, a founder. But this is all to do from what Andrew said, an overarching strategy on how they're realigning their approach to drive the product forward. So we haven't got comments from John and Sarah, but they've moved on into other programs other kind of areas in this space and yeah i think it'll be interesting to see especially with the amount of product changes that are going sarah's moved to circuit and i knew that that was on the cards for for a little while now so quite exciting times because i think she's now got a position as i think it's a customer success uh director or manager so uh, head of customer success head of customer success there you go so i think that'll be really interesting because that's definitely an area where circuit need to improve is on that marketing and that sort of uh, client facing side in terms of you know, us being clients for for them and just getting on top of all the updates and the exciting things that they're doing pivoting from connect four onto zero they've uh, released some product news for the month um only minor things here really so they've brought the save and approve workflows that were in the old invoice template or invoicing system into the new invoicing system. And they've updated their payment services platform to streamline that from a look and feel and align it with the other areas of the platform. And they've updated contact management inside the app. So if you're accessing it from your mobile phone, you've got much greater functionality of managing your contacts. The other bit that I thought was a weird announcement is they've completely changed their feature request system into a new zero product ideas system to be launched in April. 
what I found weird about it is is pretty much exactly the same. They have just changed how the voting works. Now, the feature request system that's been in there for a while, I guess, was built on the old education platform and wasn't as easy to access anymore. So I think part of the zero product ideas is just to actually align it with the overall structure of the new zero product to make it have a better interface, easier to engage with, and easier to vote up your favorite features. The important thing on that is that they ch- the votes is the big thing for me is that you you were restricted to only, I can't remember, was it five or 10 votes for product features, which given that I think the, the feature request list for zero was running into the thousands meant that you were fairly limited. I had to be very specific on what you wanted to put vote, whereas now that voting system's completely unlimited. So if you wanted to spend half a day upvoting feature requests or feature ideas on zero, you could go you could go mad and waste a lot of time. It's clearly part of the ongoing transition for zero to modernize their platform and bring everything into one place. And I suppose if I've been a little bit snarky about it, it's maybe a good way of them to you know, sunset some of the feature requests that maybe hadn't seen the light of day, or at least to get rid of some of the, the grumpy comments from users who had been asking for things for quite a considerable amount of time and it hadn't made it into the product. So we, they're going to lose a lot of comments from you then, John. <laughs> I, the least snarky of snarky users on the uh, the zero request feature. But anyway, moving on. So Comma, who are one of our uh, amazing sponsors, have just announced some new features uh, around bulk payments. So they've got bulk payments live and active for Virgin Money, Clydesdale and Yorkshire Bank. And Ulster Bank have been added for payments as well. So I don't think they're quite on the bulk payments yet, but standard payments can be made through them. And they've also just added a new feature about the new payees being added to the, to the platform and being flagged so that obviously you can keep on top of uh, anything that might be potentially risky. Oh, and then I've got something from FreeAgent. Uh, they've introduced a benchmarking feature. So they had something that's called performance benchmarking, and they've added this to this, the ability to compare that to other businesses. So it'd be interesting to see how they've anonymized that, the, the depth of the, the businesses, how they've kind of matched that. So what they're using to link the businesses together. So um, say you've got benchmarking stats, is that your sector, your industry? It'd be interesting to see how that refines. But it's been one of the, the first full, I guess, accounting software to bring in benchmarking. You've had some of the reporting apps that's been doing this, but they've brought this in, obviously, an accounting um, software state. I think this will drive benchmarking across the other providers. Benchmarking is quite often a tool that lots of people are interested in, but getting hold of that data can be quite challenging because certainly for a lot of general practice accountancy firms, you don't have lots of niches where you've got a sufficient you know, number of clients to generate that data yourself. So actually by benchmarking data from other businesses can be quite expensive and, and tends to be in a format that's not massively valuable for, for doing reporting in, in all of the apps that we're familiar with. So I think this is a really good idea. Free agent doing this is a really exciting thing but for businesses to be able to see how they do perform against their peers. And do, do we know if this is a priced product or is it free within the product? I believe it was free. It's linked to the performance benchmarking. As if that's a priced product, then obviously it's part of that. But I did not see an announcement about it being specifically an add-on that you have to pay for. All right, moving into a different software, Bokio, um, which is what was the free accounting software that's come from um, the Nordic countries over to the UK and has now got a priced option that we revealed on a prior pod. They've brought in a partner program. And what's interesting about the partner program is they're focusing on commission. So for every client you onboard onto one of their paid tiers, you get a £40 cash back, basically. And if you bring them on the premium tier, you get £80 cash back. They're just trying to do this to differentiate. Instead of getting discounts for your clients or discounts on the software, you basically get an upfront amount of money. They've also released some features in the software. They've brought in some custom templates and they've allowed the pay runs for director's pay. So that's streamlining of director's pay directly within the system. And then they've brought in online payments via Stripe which is just, I guess, mimicking pretty much every accounting system out there. But that bonus payment is an interesting thing from Bocchio, isn't it? I mean, I don't know how many accountancy firms, particularly those that are regulated by ICAW or ACCA, for example, would be comfortable with that because if that's directly linked to you onboarding a specific client, you have to disclose that or at least have that covered in your engagement letters, depending on the volume. So... I wonder if Bocchio haven't quite uh, 
done their research on the market and realized what a potential issue this could be for accountants. I agree. Literally every conversation I have with apps is about changing it from a commission basis into a discount for clients. So I would not be comfortable with taking commission and I'd want that to go back to the client. So yeah, I agree with you. I'm not sure if they've fully done their research. Maybe they have. Maybe the, the accountants they're going after are ones that aren't regulated, don't need to worry about this and want the commission. Okay, some last bit of news on uh, Trade Gecko, which got acquired by Intuit QuickBooks quite a while ago now, caused a little bit of upset in the in the zero marketplace, in particular for those who are connected to it. They've announced that it's going to be sunset from June 22. So effectively, the, the independent pro- your product will, will be gone from that point in time and one assumes that it'll be part of the wider QuickBooks infrastructure now. Not entirely sure if we've got much more detail on that but for those businesses that are affected in the UK there's obviously quite a few stock management apps that are available in those marketplaces so there are some good alternatives to consider. Yeah I think they're they're keeping it in the US I believe it's just the UK that it's being removed for and so yeah it becomes part of the key product in the US which I think was their strategy all along just like Zero are doing by buying the tech of the US platform locate inventory. It's to, I guess, try and buy customers or buy the tech, bring it in and then transition customers onto their platform from wherever they were previously. In other news for Bokio, they raised 4 million euros and were acquired by Visma, who are a leading cloud accounting and payroll provider in Europe. So Bokio started to make waves in the UK about a year to 18 months ago. There's some clever technology that Visma have said that Bokio fits with their mission perfectly. And there's some lessons that they can learn in terms of the offering and being able to roll out things around the new company registrations, business accounts, cards, accounting, payroll, and a high level of automation. So they're hoping that it will help their current customer base and that they can share the knowledge. That was quite good for Bokio, considering they're still quite young. Anyway, that brings our app news to a close for this episode. So John, I think we should talk about one of our cornerstone sponsors, Comma, for a bulk payments platform built on open banking, which I think is your baby. <laughs> it absolutely is my baby. So yeah, delighted to talk about Comma. They are a platform that will integrate with all of the major cloud accounting platforms like QuickBooks and Zero and Sage, etc. And we'll also have those connections into most of the high street banks and some of the leading fintech accounts. So the concept around Comma is that you can pull your invoices directly from whatever accounting system you've used. You can then pick and choose which ones you want to pay. And at pretty much the click of a button, it will take you direct to your bank account to make one-click payments. So super speedy. They also allow you to do payroll payments as well in a similar kind of fashion. You've got to think about this as a simple way of avoiding those errors that can be easily made in terms of putting the wrong account number or wrong details in. And you know that because it's connected to your account system, you're getting the correct data live, ready to pay at the right time. Cool, yeah, and I've got some clients on this that, that swear by it already, um, and it's already streamlined the entire payables solution. So if you want to know more, check out usecomma.com, which is U-S-E-C-O-M-M-A.com. Cool. Sorry, the dog's, the dog's just being sick all over the floor. Could you hear the dog being sick during it? No, thank God. I heard the chair. The chair. The tri- I thought I muted myself, so... That bloody chair of Ryan's is immutable anyway, isn't it? Before he gets any kind of Elgato stream deck, it's going to be a chair. That's all he's it's getting. It's a WD-40. <laughs> you're not even letting the budget stretch to that much. You didn't, you didn't tell everyone on the pod that you've been stuck in stuck in Spain on your working know, holiday. Because you, you, no one's no one's asked how how I am. Yeah. You don't care. <laughs> no one bloody asked the host, do they? No one ever asked me. I finally got back after being trapped in Spain, not on a jolly, but trapped, and she was sick by the time I was back she was like when are you coming back mommy never taking BA again yeah but that wasn't all that happened in Spain was it oh yeah got pickpocketed as well and chased my pickpocketer down and managed to get my phone back so I was quite happy what was it a male or female pickpocketer male was it male yeah very slow one are you calling me slow I pictured it is that you were wearing tall heels like a sequin dress <laughs> she, <laughs> she was wearing running spikes because she knew she was going to get so she was ready pair of blocks 
shorts, <laughs> t-shirt, which was ready. Shorts, Oh, my God. No, I was wearing big, chunky boots. And I turned around and he sort of looked at me and I said, give me back my phone. And he just sort of looked confused. So I just started running and then he ran off. But luckily uh, he was stopped. So it was all good. Note to self, Ryan. India is scary when she's hungry. Yeah. Okay, so I am delighted to have Mark Edmondson from Inflow, somebody that I've known for quite a while now, and I'm sure Mark doesn't feel the same about that in terms of the relationship. We've been using Inflow at Beaver and Shudders for quite a few years now, and it has really revolutionised the way that we approach our audit work and changed the way that the audit team approaches audit dragged us kicking and screaming into the into the digital age. Just by way of background, Mark kind of mentioned before he'd worked at PwC, I had been working in the audit side and technology in particular, and has taken those two interests together with a former colleague as well, has created Inflow, which has you know taken over the world pretty much, I think it's fair to say, hasn't it? With the, the strange and weird transformation of the audit world that's happened over the last few years in terms of this, this slow seepage of technological digital solutions into our space nowhere near as transformative as the cloud accounting world that, that most of us were familiar with but let's dig into this a little bit more so mark what was the inspiration for you know ditching pwc as it were and starting up inflow well john the big four were really starting to heavily invest in technology in around 2012 so we're going back about 10 years now and we really started to see investment in audit tech kick off and it was driven by the biggest firms, predominantly from the UK as well, which was quite interesting at that time. And I ended up as, as an auditor in the firm who was probably um, a little bit one of those vocal team members who would always be kind of saying, well, we can do better than this and we can kind of improve the way we do it. Almost getting told to kind of back your own ability then, okay, get dragged into some of these innovation projects. And some of them became, became quite massive, to be honest. I was involved in some of the projects that were delivering global tools to thousands of auditors that PwC has around the world. Now, what was really happening at that point in time was there wasn't really an audit tech market. There wasn't really any technology out there. It was just incumbents doing very basic stuff. And so to be able to start accessing data and start using more powerful analytical tech capabilities, really what that innovation involved was trying to take products that weren't really designed for the process we were trying to use them for. So things like Click or Tableau, things that preceded like Power BI, for example, and really trying to industrialize them and start to get them to do something that they weren't really designed for. And then we used big shared service centers to kind of prop them up with data scientists and data skills. And what was really obvious to me was the level of investment that that required was to be honest, quite eye-watering for an individual firm to be really trying to invest in those technologies. And so I, I saw that there was an opportunity, particularly with some of the changes that were going on in the broad profession, you, you've already touched on in cloud accounting. But I, I could see that these kind of data-driven and digital technologies needed to be more accessible and available to the broader profession. And so I left PwC, as you mentioned, I joined forces with one of my former colleagues who's an absolute expert in data and technology. And we really started to blend together all of our expertise, not just in building technology, but also the methodology that's required, the change management that's needed to go from an old way of doing things to a new way of doing things. Now, cloud absolutely helped with that. We were able to tap into the kind of infrastructure that would typically have been a huge barrier to entry. And that's why at this point, we've been able to scale up to, we're servicing customers around 120 different countries around the world, working with some of the biggest firms that there are in the profession. Cool. And why do you think it is that it seems to be that the big four firms are leading innovation in, in the audit space? You know, as we touched on the cloud accounting space, and that seems to come from the bottom up, but it seems very much that audit comes from the top down. And what do you think the reason for that is? Well, some of it's based on that initiation by the big four firms. So the big four, when mandatory firm rotation was coming in in Europe, it required each of those firms to really take a look at how they were delivering the work, think about ways that they could be more efficient in the way that that work was delivered, really focus on quality, but it ultimately drove towards how can technology create a, a differentiation, a competitive advantage. And because of that, what happened is the big four were competing with each other naturally in that big listed space, 
but they also recognized that using that technology would allow them to be able to access a broader client base perhaps. So whereas in my day, it might have been that we couldn't do an audit for less than 20,000 pounds, maybe now we could do it for 15 or 10 and actually access a broader market. Well, what did that mean? Well, now we were competing with the next tier of firms down. So we were competing with the large mid-tier firms and we were competing with some regional firms. So I was based in the Northeast of England. And so one of the biggest things that people maybe don't appreciate with data analytics and audit technology is just how much of a differentiator it is from a client's perspective. And so when you start to win new clients because you've got better technology, or on the flip side of that, lose clients because you haven't got as good a technology, it really starts to create that ripple down effect. The audit space is different to the cloud accounting space because the big four initiated the innovation process and drove it down the market from an individual firm perspective. Whereas cloud accounting was more driven from providers coming into the market and trying to take on a different way of approaching this area. Yeah, and I, and I suppose the, the key comparison between both audit and, and the, the cloud accounting space is that for a long time, we've had a huge number of you know, long-term legacy incumbents in that space who seem to lack the impetus or the ideas to really innovate. So what were the challenges and the opportunities that were presented to you when you created Inflow in terms of you know, being able to disrupt you know, you know, the incumbents in the audit space? Yeah, we, we don't like to talk too much about disrupting, John, in terms of what we're doing. We're tr- really trying to focus more on that enablement um, side of things because I think that a lot of the things that we do, nobody's ever done before, so we're not necessarily trying to disrupt an existing... But that's disruptive player. by its nature, isn't it? Well, well, potentially, but I think the disruptive word can be quite scary when you kind of look at it on the face of it. Yeah, yes, certainly some things that can be done are quite disruptive, but we're not looking to try and blow up the way that accountants do audits. We're looking to try and progress that and digitally transform it. So, but I think to your point around incumbents, we need to acknowledge the incumbents were successful for a reason. They didn't have bad solutions, but when I compare it to the, the, the incumbents that we would see in the audit space, there's been a complacency and that's led to a lower level of innovation in the last 10 years than there should have been. Now, the way we approach this, we do quite a few different things if you want to try and think about what the technology does. But if you look at an area like data analytics, we've really made our name there. So for people listening from a cloud accounting side of things, the idea of getting consistent data from all of your clients is really easy if you've got all of them in Zero or QBO or Sage. But in the audit space, what we face is that most clients are running their own general ledger. And to be able to get access to that data is a very complex activity because you're talking about now hundreds or thousands of different general ledger systems. You've got limited access to them. You've got a client who maybe doesn't even know how to extract the kind of data that you want. And some of the systems that are still being used are completely crazy, like these old database systems. So it's a different challenge in that area compared to cloud accounting because even just the, the getting access to the data in the first step is a huge challenge. So that's something that we focus really hard on. Yes, we want to help auditors start to do analytical review, journal entry testing, client reporting, all the kind of things that you'd expect to fit into the audit process. But it's really about that scalable and consistent approach. But we released a new product last year as a work papers capability. And that really then brought us into the space where there is a number of incumbents in that market and firms are very committed and embedded with some of those tools. A lot of them are still desktop tools, which has really been a challenge for many firms. You kind of take a cold look at that if you're from outside of audit looking in and you go, right, so you've got these really weird workflows, you've got duplication of effort all over the place. And the way that we're looking at this is that naturally right now, firms are acknowledging they need to move to both cloud-based platforms and they need to ensure that they're leveraging and using data as an asset for them rather than potentially a liability. And so moving to something that's data-driven and cloud-based is becoming a no-brainer. And moving from one provider's desktop solution to the same provider's cloud solution isn't necessarily going to be an easy transition than just simply moving to the best cloud solution that's out there. And you mentioned data there as a big potential asset. Who really controls it, the data and the relationship? Obviously, we've got 
a number of players now in this space. We've got clients who are running their general ledger on whatever system that may be. We've got the analytics tools in the middle, and then you've got the auditors as a third party in, in, the, in this sort of relationship. But you talk about getting auditors to use that data as an asset. But in order to do that, most of us are having to buy a product like yours or something similar to, to manipulate and utilize that data. So is that data creating value for inflow as well as auditors? It's creating value for everybody involved in the process, which is the real advantage of this. So naturally, this data is the client's data. It's in their systems and they are granting both you, the auditor, and us, the audit provider, some licensing, some rights to use that data to deliver this service more effectively and add more value to the service that's being offered. So that might, for example, be things like benchmarking capabilities, which they don't have in their single ERP system. You as a firm can provide some interpretation of those results. We as a provider can provide some analysis that's anonymized on that data. So I think it's been about being transparent around data and making sure everybody's aware of where does the data sit? How long is it kept for? How is it compliant with GDPR? There's no single winner from this process. Yeah, talking back about products that you probably compete with, particularly now on the work papers thing, there's a real mixture in there, isn't there? There are products that practices will have developed and built themselves. There are products that are Excel or paper-based on, on the other extreme. And then you've got people like my work papers and a number of others here in that space. But where does Inflow as a work paper solution present a real difference in that market? We've got this dynamic in the UK market where we've got the audit platform providers, but separately we have the audit content providers, which you'd like think of the Merciers and the PCASs and the likes of them. And, and what we've got is this strange dynamic in the UK market where the content providers create as many checklists as they possibly can because they're a content business. So the way that they add value to their firms who are paying the money is by creating more content. And the platform providers then simply incorporate all of those checklists into the platform. And so the biggest difference in terms of the way we approach this is that we acknowledge that trying to bring these new and innovative technologies into the old audit process, so the old checklist and the old platform, yes, you can do it, but it doesn't really capitalize on the opportunity. It's kind of like dropping a few things in Maybe you can take some stuff out. Maybe there's a bit of duplication there some of the time, but you're not taking the opportunity to really think about the process in its entirety and think about, well, actually, if I had the data and I had these analytics, do I even need to do some of these things that the checklist is making me do? And so the opportunity we've taken is we're, we're in the UK, the, the only provider who is offering a combined solution of the audit methodology is our proprietary data-driven audit methodology. It's built around our platform and it incorporates in all of the data analytic capabilities that we have across the entire platform so now rather than trying to fit the technology into the process we've re-engineered the process so as it capitalizes on the technology yeah what a lot of audit firms experience and we went through the same experience as well was when we pick up a, an analytics tool like inflow for example if we're still using an old traditional file system with a, one of those methodologies that you mentioned, is it quite often feels that the analytics tool then actually creates more work than it saves, certainly in that initial phase. And so, you know, in order for you to gain maximum penetration to the market in terms of saving your audit firms on, a, on an analytics point of view, there's got to be there's got to be some give and take there, hasn't there, surely, in terms of, you know, the methodology providers have either got to adapt and change or they're just going to be swept away by you guys, you know, coming in and taking up all the audit firms in the UK. And I, that doesn't seem conceivable to me. In terms of the methodology providers incorporating these techniques or yeah. us taking over the UK? <laughs> well, well, potentially both. <laughs> I think, like, you know, well, we've already started to see some of the methodology providers starting to acknowledge that data analytics plays a role in this. Perhaps some of the disappointment in that is that I've seen some of the recent changes is basically adding one work program into the planning phase and saying, think about using data analytics. Now, data analytics isn't a kind of thought process and a checklist. It's a, a bigger picture piece of how are we actually thinking about the way that we use these techniques to improve efficiency? How are we thinking about those more strategic objectives? So our view on this is that 
to think about digital and think about data, you need to think about digital transformation and thinking more strategically. Yes, you can make incremental gains, but if you want to really capitalize on the opportunity, you need to think a little bit bigger than that. We've taken all of that knowledge and experience that we learned working for a big four firm and doing this and said, how do we, how do we kind of make that and tailor that for the broader profession? But how can we make sure that we've got that expertise in hand so we can make that more accessible and firms can just quickly embrace a new approach rather than having to go and create that new approach? Yeah. <clears throat> okay. You make a, an interesting point on two factors there. I mean, obviously, you talk about learnings from the big four and talk about where audit firms could take in that, that knowledge. But my rebuttal to that is one is audit firms by their nature tend to be a little bit more cautious, don't they? So that's one of the reasons why we haven't seen a huge amount of innovation in the space. But uh, if I was being a bit sniffy about this, all the big audit failings that we see come from the big four who've been using this kind of analytics technology for a long time now. As you say, you've been sort of embedded in this in, over the last 10 years or so. So if I play devil's advocate, does audit analytics really improve audit quality or is it just a new buzzword for the marketplace? It's certainly not a new buzzword. It's been around for a long time, John. So it's certainly not a new buzzword. You mentioned, you mentioned the fake audit failings. Can you think of any of those failings that because the firm was using technology? No, but that, that's what I'm asking you about really, isn't it? So the, the other thing I would say is, you know, if you read the FRC's firm by firm reviews of the biggest firms, the guys who invested heaviest in technology, they would be perceived as being the furthest ahead. A number of those firms are inflow customers as well. They're using our tools and technology. The criticisms of audit quality that they're regulated, not because firms are not using technology. In fact, there's a number of um, examples in those reports where they give credit to firms for embracing new technology and innovating and the quality impact of it. All of the criticisms are of the old ways of auditing. It's like you've done your substantive analytical review incorrectly because you haven't set an independent expectation. You've not followed your procedures around how you sample or stratify a population. All of these kind of classic old school ways of auditing, those are the things that are getting picked up in areas such as revenue testing, which are the obvious areas where these kind of things go wrong. Or the regulator reviews are because firms aren't having enough time or being able to step back and think about the key judgments that are being made by management. So as, as many of us know who are in, you know, entrenched in audit, understand audit, you know, there's, there's a couple of facets to audit. There's ticking and working through the numbers that are there. And then there's taking a step back and thinking about the key judgments that management are making around goodwill impairment or going concern or things like this. And, and audit analytics absolutely helps with the first piece. So, you know, I, I would happily argue with you, John, that data analytics is a far better way of testing revenue than sample testing. And if we want to have that discussion another time, perhaps. But what it also allows is for us to have more time and capacity to be able to step back from the numbers and say, does this actually make sense? Do I understand why this business is a going concern or why this impairment review makes sense? And so I think it's it's multifaceted, John, but I certainly would say absolutely technology is improving quality and the quality failures that are well known, not because firms are adopting technology. If anything, it's because they're not adopting technology quickly enough. Excellent. And I'm glad you, you said that because you led me on to my next sort of question, really. And this kind of loops back to what I was saying before, is that for, for, these, for these firms that want to adopt analytics and are maybe wedded to a, an alternate work paper solution, as I mentioned before, our initial experience of that was that you probably spend a little bit more time in that onboarding phase. But the longer term benefit should be to save time to focus more on those subjective, riskier areas. But how do we convince firms to, to get on board with this, and, you know, in terms of there isn't a lot of impetus coming through from the ISAs in terms of massive requirements to use analytics. And certainly we're not seeing that in methodologies. So what else can be done to really push this agenda forward? He's thinking about it a bit more strategically than just simply thinking about at an audit test or an audit engagement level. We need to actually think about technology and data at a firm level and the, the leadership of the firm really need to be engaging in this topic. So 
I would struggle to find a firm who doesn't acknowledge at this point in time that, that data is going to play an important role in the future success of their firm and their services. So if data is going to be an important part of that process, then we as a firm need to get better at working with data and using data in the work that we do. Otherwise, we'll become very irrelevant in the way that we work. And so what are we going to need to do to be comfortable and competent working with data compared to where we currently are? Well, that's probably not necessarily going to be all about tools or technology. It's going to be about things like skills. Do we have the people in the business who understand data and understand storytelling and interpretation and have the right capabilities to engage with the client in a different way? Because we're not going to be turning up to the client for an annual compliance piece of work and saying, right, the fee last year was this much, it's now 3% higher because of inflation and we're going to do the same thing again. We want to be engaging in a much richer, much more valuable conversation throughout the year and learning some of the lessons that we've learned from the cloud accounting space in terms of how do we actually engage with clients now compared to just preparing their stats at the year end and how can we bring some of those concepts into order. Another thing that we're, we're working on in the UK We've brought the technology through a partnership with the ICAW into the ACA exam qualification. What that means is that every accountant or student who wants to become an accountant coming into the profession is both taught and examined in the data skills that are necessary for us to be more valuable as accountants to the broader business community. So interpreting analytics, understanding data. And so actually by bringing some of these skills in at the grassroots level, we start to create that momentum in terms of how the work could be done. At the top level, if we can then start thinking far more strategically about that, I think we can kind of create that pincer movement and start to create a little bit more movement so firms can really see the massive advantages in moving to these kind of digital data-driven technologies. Yeah. And talking more broadly about the audit tech market, as you mentioned earlier on, this is this is an area that hasn't really seen a huge amount of innovation for a long time. And then all of a sudden, we've now seen a number of products burst onto the scene. Do you think this space is going to be you know, a collaborative space or do we think we're going to stick to the sort of historic norms that we've experienced with the incumbents that we've got? Certainly sort of to make this more relevant for, for other listeners who, who maybe don't work in audit. <clears throat> we know that in the cloud accounting space, the, the people that collaborate, the zeros, the QuickBooks of the world and, and the ecosystem they've built up tend to be much more successful than those of the remain closed to the market. So how is this going to go? Because as you know, Mark, I've got a major bugbear about this. There are some good products out there in the market, but at the moment, nobody seems to want to pick up the ball and play. Well, yeah, I think there's a big difference between the incumbents that you mentioned and the cloud native. And I think this translates to the the, the cloud accounting space as well you see a massive difference between the cloud native guys who are coming into the market and the incumbents who uh, to be honest a lot of them are very still very focused on trying to move their customer base from desktop to the cloud and that's no small exercise so that's going to take time and a lot of them are taking a lot of time to do that for us who are cloud native apis are just second nature right? you don't need to ask us do we have an api strategy we have a document with them all documented in it and this is how you're going to use them so so I think there's, there's going to be an interesting area. Now, is this going to be done through more formal partnerships and tie-ups of products? Or is it going to be done through firms actually being able to take best of breeds, take API documentation and start gluing these two, two tools together? I think we're seeing a bit more of the latter at this point in time. And I think that's because a lot of the like a lot of a lot of companies, it is quite difficult to get these partnerships to work, to be honest with you, John. You've got to have a real cultural alignment. You've got to have real strategic alignment to be not treading on each other's toes or really committed to a, a, a direction of travel in terms of like your investment strategy, your exit planning, all that kind of stuff. And so we found it, you know, being open with you, a little bit tricky in terms of finding the right partners and finding the tools that are actually going to be complementary to the overall audit workflow. Because it is just such a different activity than being able to plug in an app to do this or an app to do that. It's, a, it's an end-to-end process. And it really needs clear, defined use cases and data requirements. And so we're, I think we're going to start to see more of it. But I think it might actually sit more in a firm's capability to leverage APIs and put tools together themselves than necessarily we've got five or six tools are a part of a, a broader like app ecosystem like we see on the cloud account side. 
And <clears throat> excuse me, do you, so, I mean, it's an interesting point you make there and, and we've seen a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, we've seen a lot of, as you say, a lot of firms trying to make this work themselves. And, and that's clearly something that we're, we're trying to do ourselves as well. There are specific sort of niche areas of, of the audit space where you know, there are specific tests or there are specific things that other partners could come in and deliver feasibly, aren't there? So is that something that a product like Inflow will work towards or is that something that you will try and develop yourself and, and sort of you know, just try and encompass the whole market? We, we, we take more of an approach of whenever we, whenever we work with our customers, John, and we identify there's a particular area that they're struggling with or that naturally the products would be very complementary to, we then naturally go through a process of going, right, okay, is there somebody out there who's really good at this? And that we could go and have an, like a conversation with them and talk about bringing them in to do that part of the process. Or is this an area where nobody's doing this really well and the firms are desperate for a new solution, therefore we'll look at a build approach. Or sometimes it's even, is technology the right answer to this problem? Is it actually that people in an, like an outsourcing scenario could be a better way of approaching this problem? So number of different scenarios, we always go through that. One of the big challenges for us is we're working globally. Any partnership that we're looking to bring in, we need that partner to be able to work globally as well. Because it's no use for us to be able to say, well, we've got this fantastic new way of doing X test, but you've got to be based in the UK or you've got to be based in Australia because we haven't actually got anyone else who can do that in another market. So our mindset is always, can we find a global partner who will do this particular activity? And that's where a few things have kind of fallen down, John, where you can see a really cool local solution to a problem, but it can't scale globally as quickly as we would want it to. So that's where it sometimes drives us towards more of a build strategy than perhaps a partnership strategy. And so there's always kind of pros and cons to all of these things. So John, so just to kind of share with you a little bit of the thought process that goes through tech CEO's mind when they're thinking about that buy versus build versus partner versus something else. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, the, you do make a very interesting point there because you talk about the fact that you're looking for partners that can suit you globally. But, you know, again, if I take this back to sort of the cloud accounting space, you know, we're looking at products, you know, there which are global in their reach in terms of, you know, zero and the QuickBooks again of the world. But equally, their partnerships are not always international partnerships. They're not always global partnerships. Some of them can be hyper-local. Some of them can be, you know, in a, in a particular niche. Some of them can use that, that platform of having a connection with, with a zero, for example, to take them out of one geographic marketplace into another where they're particularly suited. So, is that something that you would like to be able to provide as well? Could someone come along and look at Inflow and say, right, okay, we've got a great product that works in, I don't know, Singapore, let's say. They've got a presence there, but we want to take it into Australia or we want to take it to the US. Can, can they piggyback on the back of you or will you just say, ah, fuck it, we're just going to build it ourselves? I'm always kind of open to, to, to new concepts and, and helping concepts scale across the world. John, I think one of the biggest differences in, in audit versus cloud accounting is the consistency that's required and the diligence that's needed around the regulatory reperformability. So one of the biggest challenges is it might be fine, well, and good. We've explored partnerships with tech firms and, and they've come to the end and we said, right, well, we need you to be able to document what you've done here. And they say, well, we can't do that because that's our IP in terms of how we did that. And we go, well, that, that, that's nice, but that's not going to be something that an auditor could ever rely on. Isn't the computer said yes. Like we need to be able to explain how the computer said yes. And naturally, given some of those partnerships, they know fine well we could go and build this ourselves as an alternative strategy. They're a bit cagey about explaining exactly how they're doing something. And so that, that's just naturally one of the challenges, I think, John, in the audit sector is that need for re-performability and consistency. Consistency is a really important thing because think about an international audit where you've got clients around the world. You need to be able to deliver a consistent audit across that those different geographies. It's, it's not necessarily any use having a really powerful technology in one area and nothing in another area. So there's a number of different things that, yes, we would always consider a great solution that we think we could, could work with across the world. At the moment, being honest, there's not a huge amount of options in the audit space in terms of tech rise. Yes, there's a lot more now than there was five years ago. There's still not a lot if you compare the audit space to the cloud accounting marketplace in zero. I don't know how many apps would be there, but that is a different world completely compared to the audit uh, requirements. 
Yeah, I, I agreed. And I, I do understand that. I mean, clearly, there are not just regulatory requirements in various regions, but there are also differing versions of ISA requirements as well. As, and, and that, but, but quite clearly, there will be some very geographic specific things that need to be done which which maybe don't happen in other in other regions um just trying to wrap this up then where where's inflow going to go over the next few years what what future developments have you got coming down the track that you want to tell us all about and what's what's the roadmap look like well a big focus across 2022 john and this is for the majority of audit firms around the world if they don't um have their eyes on this already it's going to be a big focus across the rest of the world is, is quality management. So there's some new standards that are being brought in across the, the world. In the US, there's a little bit of a longer lead time for the implementation, but in most territories, this needs to be in by the end of uh, December 2022. And this is going to require the, the firms to implement a new system of quality management. So a really technical area, if, if you're in, a, in audit, you'll understand this by the end of the year. If you're not, then you, you really don't need to worry about it. But it's going to drive the firms to really think about how technology is used as a resource to deliver quality work. We're bringing out a new product at the end of March, which is going to help firms both implement the new quality management system and then going to help them monitor and and improve that quality management system over time. So we see a huge opportunity for technology there. I know you're a big fan of open banking. It's an area that we stepped into in December time, December 2021. We think there's a huge opportunity to start leveraging um, both balanced data, but also more importantly, transactional data feeds from banks, start to blend that into the audit process far more strongly. And so we've got a lot of things that we're working on in the open banking space that I think will unlock a huge amount of potential, which I know you've seen for some time, John, and I think auditors more generally are starting to see how bank data can really play a big part. And there's a few other changes coming up like in this year, ISA 315 is changing, which changes a lot of the risk assessment processes, a number of other things around like we're building out industry specialisms and things like that. So a, a lot to come, but really kind of, if you take a step back, we're trying to drive the broader use of data and the creation of a more digital client experience that really facilitates a more robust, more efficient, more effective audit process that's just more relevant, more interesting for people in the profession and more valuable for people that we're serving. Where do you think then you'll exit or what are your plans to exit? We have no plans to exit. So uh, I, think, I think James touched on it on, your, on one of your podcasts mm-hmm. on the infinite game. So we don't have investment behind us. We don't have equity investors or anything like that. And so fully privately owned fully control the destination of the business and fully on te- intend on trying to build the business as big as we can for as long as we can. So it's a really different mindset when you have that because you're not trying to just hit some KPIs to be able to raise some more money. You're actually building a proper business. The intention right now is that we will not exit. So that brings us to the end of another episode. And if you've got any feedback that you'd like to share with us about this episode, then please hit us up on our email address. You can go to our website. You can reach us on LinkedIn and we check all of them simultaneously. As most of you know, that we now have our first cornerstone sponsor. So we are on the hunt to find a few more for those that are interested in reaching out to more um, accountants in the UK and also to get exposure to their product. Thank you so much for your time today, Mark. If anyone from the audience base wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to reach you? The best way to get uh, in touch with me would probably be on LinkedIn. Um, it's Mark Edmondson, and that's E-D-M-O-N-D-S-O-N. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, so please you know, drop me any feedback on this episode, any, anything you want to ask me or to follow up. More than happy to, to speak with anyone. Great. Thanks again, and thanks for listening.